0: Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you and to be back with you. I'm so thankful for our church and, and for all of you, the wonderful baptisms last Sunday and, and the great picnic, and Pastor Barry's just phenomenal sermon last week, and First Peter, and most of the elders and a few others from Redeemer, we were able to go last week to Louisville, Kentucky, for the together for the gospel conference. And while we were there in one of the sessions, Mark Dever, one of, the, one of the speakers, he talked about pastoral joys in ministry that you don't want to miss. And after that session, we went to lunch and, and Lawson, he asked, he said, so for the pastors, elders, like what are, what are some of the pastoral joys that Dever talked about that just really resonated with you? Uh, A couple people talked about, you know, seeing people's lives change and all that stuff. When it got to me, I said, man, I want to just say that I think when Dever said, don't miss out on the pastoral joy of seeing other people in your church preach better sermons than you do. And I thought that one, Barry, last week. And he, if you miss that sermon, you've got to go listen to it. It's one of my favorite sermons I think he's ever done. And he's just incredible. God has gifted him so much. And he's my favorite preacher in Texas for sure. I, I love that guy, and you got to go listen to his sermons. That guy loves the Bible. That guy loves you, and he just does an amazing job every single time. So I'm sad to report that I'm back here today, and he's visiting his family up in Indiana. And not only are you back with me, but we're also back in Ecclesiastes. So please go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we're buckled back up with Solomon and his tour through life under the sun, where what is meaningless, what is meaningful, and we've seen in the last two sermons in Ecclesiastes, where Solomon says that prosperity and comfort are not always signs of God's blessing. They, they don't always mean good things, and also that adversity and discomfort and suffering that these are also not always signs of God's anger and wrath. And what Solomon wants us to think about in chapter seven, the second half, verses 15 through 29, is he wants us to peer into kind of the silly, reactionary thoughts that we have. We have these flammable impulses in our hearts that if we act on them, five alarm fires happen in our lives. Foolish things burst out into our lives. And Solomon wants us to really extinguish them. And we see them beginning at verse 15. As we do every week, if you're able, let's stand in honor the reading of the Word of Christ. And we hear through the Spirit in our brother Solomon, beginning in verse 15. And he writes, In my vain life, fleeting, havel, vanishing life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that withhold not your hand For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep and very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness, and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher. Well, adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Let's pray together. Holy Father, would you help us now? Would your divine spirit be at work among us? That we would have ears to hear what it is the preacher is saying in Ecclesiastes. That we would hear from Solomon. That we would hear from your spirit. That we would hear and look to the one who is greater than Solomon, who is wisdom and flesh sitting on a throne for us right now. Would you help us to look to your son, the King of kings, And would we lay our lives down? Would we pick up our crosses? And would we follow him now? Meet us here, Lord. Do only what you can do through your divine power. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. You may be seated. Every, Every frustration in life, every frustration you feel in life is a theological echo that we are waiting for the new earth the sickness we experience the pain in your back you experience now for doing nothing for no apparent reason your knees hurting the aging and even john l and i were talking before the service that you go through houston there are Parts of the city that are falling apart, that, parts that were once great are now no one wants to go to, and they're now houses broken down. All of these things are theological echoes for us that we are awaiting a new earth where there are no rundown cities, where everything, and now these streets are not filled with potholes, rather, these streets are filled with gold. Well, there is no more sickness, there is no more pain, there is no more death, and there are no more tears. And this is what Solomon is showing us every single week. That in this, why he starts out in chapter 7 and verse 15, in my vain life. In this fleeting life. It reminds us, we are awaiting a life that is not vain, that is not fleeting, that is not a mist. And you must really feel and believe this. Solomon's teaching it, Jesus teaches it, Paul teaches it. They all agree that life is hard. Horrible things happen. Things don't seem to make sense and reminding us there is an eternal kingdom to come. We're not going to live here forever. A new earth where we'll live forever, where death will be no more, cancer will be no more, adultery will be no more, drunk driving will be no more, and even we will live in a place where alarm system companies will be no more. You will not need your alarm.com app in the new earth. But all these things are still here today. All these awful things still occur. Bad things happen to Christians. Tragic things happen to Christians. And it seems like great things happen for unbelievers. We know with this like, oh man, that's so awful that happened to that Christian. And there's this unbeliever, pagan celebrity living the high life, pouring champagne on their phone, or whatever. And Solomon notices all this before social media, before Team Z, before reality shows. He notices there seems to be this kind of imbalance in the world, and the temptation is for the people of God to say, we got a bum deal. This isn't working out for me. Why be a Christian? Is it really worth it? I'm not getting what I want. That's why a lot of people go down to a church that fits in a basketball arena. I want what I want. But Solomon wants to remind us, no, holiness isn't Havel. Holiness isn't meaningless. Holiness matters. This is verse 15. Look at verse 15. In my vain life, this is the word havel, this vanishing, this fleetingness, this, this vapor life, I've seen everything. What, what have you seen, Solomon? There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. It didn't protect him, it didn't keep him. And yet, there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. His wrongdoing helped him live longer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor, scholar, Author gets assassinated by the Nazis. And now you've got Nazi doctors who they tortured and experimented on people who escaped being captured, fled to Brazil, and lived the high life, lived the good life. Pastor, prophet, martyr, spy, Nazi doctors living the good life in Brazil. People that own casinos profiting on people's weakness and foolishness and drunkenness. They prolong their life and their comfort on wickedness. Drug kingpins. I don't know if you saw this one guy that got captured. They showed his house. Gold-plated guns. Tigers in his house. White tigers in his house. Millions of dollars in cash on pallets. Could get whatever he wanted, when he wanted. Indoor pools as big as lakes. Lakes. And here we are trying to work our honest jobs and just trying to budget if we can go out to eat. What are we going to get the kids for Christmas? That's where a lot of people go. This doesn't seem fair. What's the point of being a Christian if I don't get my best life now? I feel like my life has gotten worse since I've become a Christian. I don't get to do a lot of things that I want to do. Is this really worth it? Well, what does Solomon say? Verse 16. You think he's going to say something immediately helpful. Be not overly righteous. Uh, What? I thought you were going to say something else. And do not make yourself too wise. Um, Why are we listening to you then? Why should you destroy yourself? Okay, I'm not tracking with you, Solomon. Verse 17, be not overly wicked. Okay, I got that. But you said overly. You could have just said wicked. Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? What is Solomon saying here? Now, this sounds like the lazy Christian's life verse. Don't be too righteous. Got it. (laughs) Put that on my tote bag and mug. I'm going to memorize this one this week. Be not overly righteous. Great. Goodbye, Bible reading. Goodbye, prayer. Farewell, repentance. I don't want to be too righteous. Are you going to pray in community group, confess anything this week? I don't want to be too righteous. Obviously, this is not what Solomon's saying. He's saying exactly what Jesus says to the Pharisees and what Paul says to the legalists. We know this isn't what Solomon's saying because how many people did he mention in verses 16, 17, and 18? How how many groups? Three groups of people. Verse 16, those who are overly righteous. For 17, those who are overly wicked. And verse 18, this is the third group of people. Listen to what he says. It is good that you should take hold of this. What? Be not overly righteous, be not overly wicked. And from that withhold not your hand. So grab this for the one who fears. So this is another kind of person. The one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Who are the them? The overly righteous, the overly wicked. So this righteous guy he's talking about is not someone who fears God from verse 18. these are This is a different kind of person. So don't be overly righteous. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be overly wicked. Be the one who fears God. So this is not saying holiness doesn't matter. No, holiness matters. He's attacking, Solomon's attacking the knockoff religion just like Jesus did. You've seen the knockoff polo shirt. It's got like one sleeve, like weird. It's maybe the Knights of the Round Table logo or something like that. It's, It's kind of guy on a horse, but he's not holding a polo club, something else. And I remember when we went to Thailand on a mission trip, and Kevin, Pastor Kevin, he bought a watch in Burma. We were across the border, and the watch looked nice. It probably cost $2. It looked like a Rolex or something like that. And we're looking at it like, man, that's pretty cool. And then he takes it off to adjust the time on the bus right back. That thing fell apart and just in his hands. <laughs> I think it just went to dust, just pff, just gone. <laughs> he, Solomon's showing us, look, some of these things look real, but they're not. It's garbage. That watch looked real. It's not, it was garbage. This overly righteous looks real, but it's garbage. It's is faux righteousness, knockoff, doing Christian stuff, trying to play the part. If you think going the route of religiosity is going to fix your life, Solomon says, look, you're actually going to destroy it. Be not overly righteous. And why destroy yourself? you going to destroy yourself. I thought just a little bit of religion was going to help me. No, it destroys you. Listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. That woe just means you are being destroyed. You are headed for destruction, you scribes and Pharisees, the overly righteous of Jesus' day. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, so that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly, they appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also, you appear outwardly righteous. You are overly righteous but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And listen to what he says. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Jesus looked at the overly righteous, the professional Bible readers, the leaders of the Torah belt, and tells them how will you escape being sentenced to hell? If you think doing the religious stuff guarantees that you won't get sick, that you won't lose your job, that you will get that dream house, you don't understand Christianity. If you think good works and morality severed from the gospel, disconnected from Jesus of Nazareth, is some kind of ticket to the good life, you are not going to get the kingdom of God, but instead you are like the Pharisees and you have your reward. Promising to read your Bible more or to go to church more making a treaty with god i remember doing all these things in high school like oh i had a really bad stomach ache stomach bug oh i'm sorry god i'll read my bible more like all those kinds of things this is there is no art of the deal with god Solomon, so he's not discouraging personal holiness what is he discouraging he is discouraging holier than thouness he is not discouraging holiness he is discouraging holier than thouness some people they, they don't try to be holier than thou. That's some of us in the room. I'm just gonna to try to be a really good person, really good person. All disconnected from Christ, Psalm says, You're destroying yourself. Some of us in the room, we just go, I'm not going holier than thouness. I'm going unholier than thouness. That's verse 17. Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Some people think it doesn't pay off to be a Christian. They're impatient. They want to forego the eternal joy and pleasure with God for temporary joy and pleasure. When Solomon says, die before your time, that echoes what we say. Like, oh man, that person, usually old age, and they they died early. Solomon says, some people die because of foolishness. When a college student dies because of the wickedness they're enjoying. The parties, the drugs, they don't think about the STDs and the addictions and the ruined life. And really what you have here from Solomon is kind of the seed form of the parable of the prodigal son. You have the younger son who went headlong into wickedness, and it did him no good. And you have the older son. He was committed to morality, but it did him no good. And he refused to embrace the joy of the father. The way to live under the son in this vain life, a Solomon says, is verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this. Remember this lesson. Do not withhold your hand from it, that for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them, will survive. When the dust settles, the one who fears God will survive. So don't just acknowledge this. Don't just take notes. Grab it. Sink your teeth into it. This is what you need. This verse is the shield of faith that will help you extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This verse is one that you need that will help be a belt of truth to you to help you gird up your loins as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For the one who fears God will come out from both of them. In this vanishing world, trust God. Some of you, that's not enough, though. You want to know why. I want to know why this happened. I want to know why this didn't happen. But listen... If you have to be all-knowing to be content or to be joyful, you will always be all-miserable. If you have to be all-knowing to be content and be joyful, you will always be all-miserable. We are not equipped to understand all things. Our life is but a mist and a vapor. You already forgot your high school math class. We are not prepared to understand The things that are deep, deep, far too deep for us. In this vain life, trust God. The way to make it in this vain life. All of our lives are vain. They're all fleeting. They're all vanishing. We're all like Marty's family and that picture in Back to the Future. We are are vanishing (laughs) off the scene. The way to come out, the way to hang on past the Havel is to fear God. And that doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It really just means to follow God. To cling to God. To put your faith in God. To live for the fame of God. To fear dishonoring God. And eternal life is yours. Then paradise is yours. God himself in the present heaven. The kingdom of heaven awaits. As Solomon says in Proverbs 10, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. Listen, I mean, just like the prodigal son, he experienced the havel, the fleeting nature of life, the emptiness of money and pleasure and food, and it was all detached from the relationship of the father, all detached from his father. And he found out this is pointless. What am I going to do now? I've experienced all these things, and yet I could be with my father. So he runs back home and he finds life in his father and his father welcomes him back into his house and the older son, the overly righteous son held on to his morality and he refused to enter into the joy of his father. He wasn't overly wicked, the older son. He was overly righteous. He even says, I've always obeyed you. I always did everything you asked and you never gave me anything. He was overly righteous. Maybe today, Our greatest need is to repent of our self-righteousness, not our unrighteousness. It could be that your propped up self-righteousness and your confidence in yourself and in your good works and how you're not as sinful as someone else is keeping you from the joy of the Father. Or maybe you know you're unrighteous. Your wickedness, your sinfulness is not a surprise to you. Well, I have good news. It's not a surprise to Jesus either. And He's inviting you to believe in him. He came that we may have life to the fullest. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. He died while we were still sinners. This is why verse 20 says this, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Solomon just lays it out there. There is not a sinless person on the earth right now There is not a sinless person on the earth in Solomon's era. There is not a sinless person on the earth in our era just showing us we are all sinners, no one who always does good and never sins. I wrote in the margin of my Bible why we need Jesus. And this is still true. There was an era when someone on the earth was sinless, but he's not on the earth anymore. His body is not on the earth anymore. He is in the heavenly places, sitting on a throne, inviting sinners and leading sinners into his kingdom. Jesus of Nazareth, the righteous, holy son of God, the sinless, perfect God himself, came from heaven to this earth, lived under the sun. He did good. He served. He loved. He never sinned. And he died on the cross to pay for my sins, to pay for your sins. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And he paid our debts. He gives us new life. This is why we need Jesus. Not just for salvation. We need him for everything. This is why verse 19 is an echo to Christ. Wisdom gives strength to the wise. More than 10 rulers who are in a city. Jesus is the wisdom of God in flesh with 10 fingers and 10 toes sitting on a throne, and his wisdom in our lives is more powerful than 10 kings in our lives, more powerful than the 10 best life coaches who could ever give you advice. So we go to the king of kings, the wonderful counselor, living with Jesus. The fear of God, the wisdom of God, is living with the righteousness of God, living with the righteous one of God, following Jesus. These are all basically, basically saying the same thing. To fear God is to follow God. Holiness isn't meaningless. Good works will follow. So Psalm doesn't say, forget about good works. But don't be overly righteous. Don't think your good works are the ticket. Good works will follow, but it's not good works that protect us. Rather, our good works are the evidence of our protection in Christ. Jesus is every Christian's Kevlar vest. Our morality disconnected from him is an imaginary Kevlar vest. He's the real thing. Without him, we pretend to have the real thing. So today, where is your confidence? What gives you strength? How do you know that when you stand before God that you will be saved eternally? You, is that your confidence? Or is it Jesus alone? Do you really believe verse 20? Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins? You can read that and go, "Hmm, that's right, that's right." You're like, "Oh yeah, me, I'm on earth. This means me too. I'm not a righteous man. I sin." This is why trying to be a good person won't get you into heaven. Because you aren't a good person. We might be nice people. And we look good compared to Hitler. But God's standard is not comparing humans to each other. God's not going to line up all humanity and go, okay, I'm just going to take in the most moral ones. No, he's not comparing us to one another. God's standard is himself and his law in His Word. And Solomon illustrates it briefly, how we all sin. Verse 21, do not take to heart all the things that people say on Facebook, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Solomon says, look, don't don't take to heart everything that everyone says. People are sinners. They're going to say horrible things. They're going to say bad stuff about you. And oftentimes, we give them the ammunition anyways. So he mentions the servant. that This person probably mistreated their servant, and they heard their servant chirping as they were walking away. Secondly, if people knew what was really in our hearts, oh, geez. We'd all be horrified if we could peer into each other's hearts right now. We are much worse in the flesh of our hearts than we are at face value. And third, listen to what he says in verse 22. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So don't freak out when people say bad things about you, because haven't you, Mr. Christian, said bad things about people too? Haven't you said wrong, hurtful, mean, gossipy, sarcastic things about others? We're all sinners. And notice what he said. He said, don't take to heart what people say. But what did he already tell us to take to heart? Verse 18. Take this, grasp this with your hand. Take hold of this. The one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So don't take to heart what people say. Take to heart what it is that God will say. What will God say about you? Will he say, forgiven? Will he say, accepted, redeemed, made new, justified, covered by the blood of my son? Or will he say, depart from me? I never knew you. will he say, you are damned into the fire of hell, along with all of Satan and his demons. That's why we need Jesus and his mangled corpse on the cross and his resurrected body sitting on the throne for salvation and for daily life, for faith in him then, that first moment of belief and faith in him now and into eternity, following him, walking with him, Because the fear of the Lord, the one who fears God, shall come out from both of them. This means that the fear of God fuels our lives, that we're fueled by the fame of God, and that that is the only viable way to live under the sun. The only viable way to live under the sun and to pursue holiness is if we are fueled by the fame of God. Look at verse 23. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it's far from me. He says, this is really hard work to test everything. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can, who can find it out? 25. I turn to my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme. This is a contrast with wisdom, with schemes. The scheme of things, to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. So Solomon's saying, look, I'm, I'm looking at all the ways that people try to live. I'm looking at all the ways that people try to live in Israel, the ways people try to live in Egypt, The way people try to live in Tomball, Texas, I'm I'm analyzing them all. And some people pursue wisdom. Some people pursue schemes. When you think of the word scheme, do you think positive or negative? Negative. When you hear, hey, you want to be a part of my get-rich-quick scheme, you don't go, yeah, tell me about it. They're like, no, this is horrible. It doesn't work. It's a scheme. Solomon says, I've seen the schemes that men roll out in their lives and how they crash and burn. They don't work. Only wisdom works. Only God's wisdom. Only Jesus' wisdom in flesh works. And he talks about the most, one of the most dangerous schemes in the world. Look at verse 26. I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, chains, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. We are sinners, Solomon notes. And he knows firsthand sexual sin being one of the biggest sins in the world. From fornication or adultery or weaponized and digitized lust found in pornography. These are snares and nets and traps and chains. And Solomon says, I see how humanity tries to play with this, this scheme. And schemes don't keep it from happening. They can help. Web blockers are helpful. Software is helpful. Accountability partners are helpful. But what does Solomon say is the escape patch in the five-alarm fire of lust? Verse 26, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her, the one who pleases God, the one who is living in the fear of God, the one whom God looks at and says, yes, this person is resting in my grace and resting in Christ, and they are I am pleased with them in Christ. Another way to say it is, this is the one who is living in the fear of the Lord. This is the one who is already walking with the Lord. And who, because they're walking with the Lord so much, they know where the fire exit is in every room they enter. Or they know where the, weirdest, the nearest window to jump through is. It's the one who is magnetized to the throne of Jesus and says, I'm following you, Lord. I'm following you in all of life. And when I, I can feel this, this is... This woman, this man, this relationship, this encounter, uh, it's going the wrong way. I'm magnetized to you. I'm, I'm going for you. Just like Joseph. Just like Paul. Pursuing Christ. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, if anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Solomon says, the one who fears God escapes. Paul says, God will provide you the way of escape so that you are able to endure it. And he says, therefore, my beloved, flee. The way of escape is not just to sit there and wait. Okay, God, I'm waiting for the lights on the you know, aisle. Where I go. Flee, Run. Just like Joseph, when he was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife grabbed him and said, "Lay with me," he said, "I'm out. Bye, Felicia. I'm gone." And he runs, <laughs> leaves his coat behind, and says, "I'm out. Nice jacket. I can get another one. Goodbye." I don't know. I mean, I, I really like having Facebook. I want to delete it. Huh, Snapchat. I mean, I'm tempted. Bye. I don't know, I mean, we're good friends, we're just coworkers. No. Flee. God will provide the way out, so run. Don't flirt, daydream, fantasize, wish, wonder about someone else other than your spouse, unless you want to ruin your life. And I know that seems harsh. It is. That's the way Solomon speaks. Your life under the sun gets ex- exponentially more difficult, and only Christ can pick up those mangled pieces and restore our lives. Holiness is not meaningless. Holiness isn't havel. Holiness is happiness. This is why in Proverbs 5 and 7, 5 through 7, Solomon gives constant warnings about adultery, and Solomon knows firsthand it ruins you. This is why I always encourage people to read the Daily proverb. want to find out how can I get in the Bible, I don't know. There are 31 Proverbs, 31 days usually in a month. Read the daily proverb. If you're not reading anything else, like "Ah, I got behind on my Bible reading plan, I don't know what to do, just grab your phone, grab your Bible. Today is the 17th, Proverbs 17. Take two minutes. And if you do that, you read the Proverbs, try to read them every month, you'll be reminded about the dangers of adultery every month. You read Proverbs 5, on the 5th, 6th, on the 7th, on the 6th, 7th, on the 7th. Three chapters every month, 36 times a year, you'll be reminded about the dangers of adultery. That is not overkill. Because the world, people never let it go. It's just reality. God forgives the repentant. And the church rallies and lifts up the repentant. But it's only found in Christ. Jesus is the only one who can restore our lives. Jesus is the only one, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, that we were fornicators and adulterers and thieves and robbers and homosexuals, but such were some of you. We were washed and sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus. But that doesn't mean there still aren't difficulties out in the world. Listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs 5. Let's hear his warnings. Turn to the left to Proverbs chapter 5. The Proverbs, the warnings in Proverbs are meant to rattle us. Solomon's writing, this is why he speaks in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes about the woman whose way in her life she's fetters and traps and snares and nets because he's speaking to his sons in the same way in Proverbs chapter 5. He's discipling them. In Proverbs 5, beginning of verse 1, he says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and guard your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman. Every woman other than your wife is a forbidden woman. I don't know if I married the right one. Whoever's on your marriage certificate, the right one. You're not married yet. Every woman's a forbidden woman to you until you get married. It drips honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But man, she looks good. But in the end, She's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, to hell. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Be chewed up in the wood chipper of society. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you're grown. When your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline. I didn't listen and my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I ignored the counsel of everyone and now what? I am at the brink of utter ruin. In the assembled congregation, my life is falling apart Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. What's the greatest motivation? A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline because of the great folly he is led astray. I mean, you could read five, six, seven, and a little bit of eight, but skip to 620. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always like a Texan bolo necktie. Tie them around your neck. Always with you, drawing attention. Everyone notices those. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp. And a teaching, a light, and there reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in, in her heart, in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. It's a hotel room. It doesn't cost much financially. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense, he who does it destroys himself. will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Solomon's saying, look, this is how the dominoes fall in the culture. This is what happens in society. He's not advocating that this is a good thing to happen. He's just saying, this is what happens. But thanks be to God that even the Lord Jesus can pick up the lives of our huddled mess and restore us to him. So how do you get out? What did Solomon say? The one who pleases God, chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, the one who pleases God escapes her. So this should lead us to say, God, help me to fear you, to heed your word, to keep me, Lord. You keep me. And may your pleasure, may the pleasure of God deliver me from all the deadly pleasures under the sun. Listen, I sin and you sin because we think it's enjoyable. And it is for a moment. And it's gone. And it turns rancid on us. And then we don't realize we're stuck in a demonic mousetrap. Don't be overly righteous. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that sinner or this sinner. And I pray and I read my Bible. I know my doctrine and it's all solid and good. Don't be overly wicked. Who cares? Grace will abound. I can confess, it will be fine. Rather, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Keep me in your grace. As Jude 24 and 25 says, keep me from stumbling. And we find grace in Christ and Christ alone, we need the righteousness and life and death and resurrected life of Jesus. He's our only answer. Where all of our sins are paid for in him, by faith alone and in him alone. Holiness in Christ, with Christ, and from Christ isn't meaningless. And it's preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that is to come. Let's pray together.